Hey, this is Ryan Tucker, and welcome to the weekly sermon with Pastor Stephen. Today, he discusses Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25, and it's titled, Memoirs of a Maturing Christian. Hey guys, if you have a Bible today, please take it out and go to Romans chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, no worries, the scripture will be on the screens. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, please stop by our Welcome Center before you leave and we will be happy to give you your own copy of God's Word. Uh, So today we're getting back into the book of Romans. We may only be there for one day. Uh, we will eventually, if we don't next Sunday, get, you know, we'll continue on, okay? We're not going to get to uh, the chapters that some of you have been waiting on, 8 and 9, and stop. No, 8 and 9 is going to be rich, friend. You'll want to come to that. Maybe I can straighten some of your theology out. <laughs> but we're in chapter 7, and the title of this series, verse by verse through the book of Romans is, A Life Transformation. A life transformation. This is Paul. He's just talking about, hey, who you were before Jesus has been transformed through Jesus, and now you're a new man, a new creation in Christ. Now, before we get into the sermon, I've got a confession that I want to make. Been your pastor uh, for over 11 and a half years. Most days, just seems like just, just starting. Some days, seems like, my goodness, how long have we been here? But uh, there's a guy, there's one particular guy that, uh, that I've got a lot of problems with. And so I'm just tired of it. I'm just publicly going to practice some church discipline, and I'm going to call him out um, in this service because he's always negative. Uh, he always says he's going to do something. He, he doesn't necessarily always follow through. And, uh, well, he is the, uh, well, he can be one of the biggest discouragements to me. And so I'd like for him to go ahead and stand up if he would this morning. No, it's me. I'm already standing up. It's me. <laughs> it's me, and that's true. That's true. I have, I have more problems out of me than anybody else in this church. Why? Because, I mean, I really want to be the best husband and I want to be the best father and I want to be the best pastor. But I'm not. There is a, there's a problem I have. I I believe this is the way you're supposed to do it. Hello, my name is Stephen Kyle. And I am a sinner. I'm a recovering sinner. Now, the good news, or, or the bad news, I'm in good company. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul even says the very same thing, the guy who wrote the book of Romans. So if you figured out today how you no longer struggle with sin, I mean, you figured out something that nobody else has. And so he's going to address this passage of the difficulty, the struggle 
that we face living in this life. It's interesting here, almost 40 times in these 12 verses, he uses the first person pronoun. Almost, it's 38, it's what I counted in my translation. I, myself, me, or my. He's saying, I, he. He has a problem. So with that being said, look in Romans chapter 7, verse 14. I love the look on some of your faces. You thought I was going to practice church discipline publicly in front of a thousand people. Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, that means I, I, he wills it. He does not want to do this. I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. If I find then a law, that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members. The members there, he's not talking about the members of his church. He's talking about his body, okay? His body. Warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am. So I just assume you would all amen on that one because you can identify with him, right? Even the ladies. A wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. And with the flesh, the law of sin. Now, this morning we're going to look at the memoirs of a maturing Christian Paul. That's who we're going to look at. And we're going to look at three characteristics of a maturing Christian. But in order for us to do that, we need to kind of remember the process of salvation. There, there are three different tenses that all work together when it comes to salvation. First of all, we have past tense. And past tense is justification. You know, the moment that you surrender your life to Jesus, putting your faith and trust in him... You have now been justified. Now, I told you the way I learned early in Sunday school to understand justified is in Jesus, God looks at me now just as if I'd never even sinned. That I am now in Christ, so I've been justified, right? I've, I've you know, it's been removed from me, the penalty that is rightfully due to me, which is death, separation from God forever and ever, in a place called hell. 
That's, that's justification. Past tense. So if you're here today and you say, yes, I've surrendered to Jesus. He's my Savior and Lord. I have a personal relationship with him. Then you have been justified. But then there's present tense, which is sanctification. Sanctification comes from the word that we use a lot, sanitize. Now, the last two years, that word's taken on a brand new meaning, hasn't it? Yeah, sanitize means to, uh, to clean something. It means to remove all the germs. You know, it's that magic potion jug that you've got sitting right there in your car when you get in and just a, all right, I'm good, I can go. Been sanitized, the germs have been removed. And I've been told that really all depends on where you buy your sanitizing lotion. Uh, I've been told this, I've not researched this, so please save your emails. <laughs> I've been told that you do not want to buy your sanitizer from China. Take it for what it's worth. I would submit you probably never get it anyway. Don't worry about it. <laughs> See, that's what's happening presently right now in the life of all those who know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, right? God, through the Holy Spirit, is removing all the bad, right? He's getting rid of all the germs. He is daily uh, shaping and molding and making us into the very image of Jesus Christ. That is present. What's future? Future's glorification. Glorification is when I no longer am here, but I am now in the place where there is not even the hint of sin. We would call that heaven. The curse that we have to deal with down here. I mean, we're praying uh, for folks that have been affected by a tornado. I can promise you, in heaven, we will not be praying about a tornado. Because that is a result of sin and the curse that it brings. But now, how about we just focus on the present? I mean, the here and now. That's kind of what Paul does. He's talking about this sanctification process, this sanitizing that is going on. Now, we're all in that, but there is a great encouragement found in Philippians 1.6. See this process that's going on? Well, listen to what he says. He says, I'm confident that he who began this good work in me, who began it? Jesus. It's through salvation, through Christ, that I've been justified, right? So this work is going on inside of me. It's not something that you and I do. Why? Because if sanctification were something you and I could do, there would be no need for justification. Okay? Y'all tracking with me there? All right, you're like, I've heard all this before. I know, isn't the Bible neat? <laughs> I'm confident that he who began a good work in me is going to keep on. Hmm. He's going to keep on completing that until the day of Jesus Christ. So he's going to keep on shaping us to be like Jesus. It is a process that is taking place. And Paul says right here, he says, you know, I've got a struggle that's going on. I really want to do the right thing, but I find myself doing the wrong thing. And then I, I know all these things over here are the wrong thing to do, and I don't want to do them, but sometimes I find myself occasionally falling into those things. 
And I'm like, have you been reading my mail, Paul? And so there's a debate among some folks. They sit there and say, well, you know, is Paul writing here as a Christian or is Paul writing to someone who is a non-Christian? Without hesitancy, I say he's writing about a Christian. And I'll not stop right there. I think he's writing about himself. He's writing about this struggle and he is experiencing in this process of sanctification. And I would say he's describing the heart's cry of a maturing Christian. I mean, my goodness, just look at all the first person pronouns and the present tense verbs that he's using right here. He's talking about right now. He's writing these words. This is where I am at this very moment. Now, this is interesting, guys, in case you may need encouraging today. We believe that Paul was saved around 35 AD. And that could go one way or the other, just a few years. 35 AD. We believe that he wrote the book of Romans in 57 AD. So for 22 years, he's been following Christ. For 22 years, he's been growing in Christ. This is not some novice. This is not somebody that got saved yesterday. He says, I still have to deal with and confront sin 22 years later. So we're going to look at this memoir of a maturing Christian, Paul. Now I want to make this clear before we do. I chose the word maturing and not mature because you will never reach the state of being a mature Christian. It is maturing, right? right. It, it is a process. It is a, it is a growth that continues over. And a matter of fact, if we even made the statement, I'm a mature Christian, that would actually be evidence that we are not mature. So I just want to make sure you understand. And so there are three characteristics that I think we see in this passage of Scripture that we're striving towards through the help of the Spirit of God. First of all, the first characteristic of a maturing Christian is they wrestle with sin. They wrestle with sin. I mean, he says here, there is a war that is inside my body. There is a war that is inside my mind. There is a war that is inside my heart, my control center. We might even say my personality. There is a good nature. There is a evil nature. And they're consistently fighting against each other. That on one side, I have the old nature, right? What is the old nature? That is who I was before I came to know Jesus Christ, before I became a Christian. And I would love to stand in front of you this morning and say this, hey, listen, friend, I want you to know that when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you will no longer have to worry about the old nature. I'd be lying. That is not true. I can say this with confidence. You'll never have to worry about the old nature once you are glorified. Be careful what you wish for, right? And so he says, right here, it's this constant struggle. The new nature, somebody, and then we have somebody submitting to that new nature, a spirit-filled Christian, someone that is not giving in to the demands and the desires of, of the flesh, but somebody that is now obeying the demands and the desires of the Holy Spirit of God. 
Maybe this will help you understand it a little bit better. We, we see this story uh, in, in the Gospels that Jesus is there. It's on the night that he would be betrayed, arrested and betrayed. And so they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Some of you guys have been there, so you, you can kind of picture in your mind that he goes there, he leaves the, uh, all the disciples except the, the three, Peter, James, and John. And he takes them a little bit further. And then he stops with Peter, James, and John. He says, you, you three stay right here. Stay awake and pray. I'm going to go on a little bit further. And what he was doing is he was submitting to God the Father. Fully man, fully flesh. I was listening to somebody the other day. They're like, well, you know, yeah, Jesus did die on the cross. And this was some expert. Jesus really did die on the cross, but because he was God, he did not have to suffer the physical torment that we would as humans. Baloney, great Greek word. Jesus goes on to surrender to God the Father, right? He's continuing the battle. The flesh is saying, stay away from the cross, stay away from the cross. And so he's praying. What does he tell his disciples? Those three, stay here, stay awake and pray. He comes back to them. What had happened? They had fallen asleep. And he's like, come on, guys. I haven't been gone that long. All I did was ask you to stay awake and pray. Come on, wake up. Stay awake and pray. And then Jesus made an observation, not only about these three, but I would say about every single one of us in this room. Here's the observation. I know your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Can you identify with that? You ever made a statement like that before? I know that's that turmoil, right? That's that struggle. That's that battle that he is talking about in this passage of Scripture. Yeah, my spirit wants to do what's right, but there's a part of me. It's like a tug of war, right? Pulling back and forth. And then the same guy who wrote Romans, he wrote the book of Galatians. And he kind of says, I'm going to give you a little bit of help here. Galatians 5, verse 16. Look at this passage. Galatians 5, 16. He says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit, uh, that is what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with one another so that you do not what you want to do. So there's a battle raging. And we say, well, how can I tell what the dominant spirit, what the dominant nature is in my life. Well, he, he tells us right there. Just a little bit further, Galatians 5, verse 18. Listen to what he says. He says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. I like how he encourages us. You don't get this? They're pretty obvious. Here they are. Okay? See if you have any of these in your life. Sexual immorality. That's the Greek word pornea. We get our word pornography from it. It's a general word for any kind of sexual sin. So included in sexual immorality would be adultery, premarital sex, pornography, lust, 
homosexuality. Any kind of sexual sin is included in that word sexual immorality. Look at the next word, impurity. That means anything that's not moral, anything that's not clean. Debauchery. Here's the way I describe debauchery. Somebody that whatever, you know, whatever it is, they do, they, all they do is they want pleasure. So they'll be involved in anything so that it satisfies their own selfish, fleshly desires. Idolatry. We know idolatry, right? Worshiping other things than the one true Jehovah living God. Now, we hear the word idolatry and we're like, well, you know, I'm not involved in idolatry. There's no way I would worship an idol because we have in our mind that an idol is something that has been made like a little statue or a golden calf or something like that, like ancestry worship. Or, you know, you got a little, little area set up like an altar and you're worshiping those things. Friend, listen to me. While we do not do that... Yeah, we're much more sophisticated in our idolatry. We just don't build stuff. Anything that we allow to take the preeminent position which belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives has become an idol. And anything can apply to that. And then witchcraft. When I hear the word witchcraft, I don't know about you, but I, I tend to think of a woman dressed in black with a crooked nose. Flies around on a broom. The, uh, the Greek word used here for witchcraft is the word pharmacia. Yeah, we get our word pharmacy from it. So, so when he uses the word witchcraft here, here's basically what he's saying, drug abuse. Legal drug abuse or illegal drug abuse. That if there's some substance that has a control over you, the Bible calls it witchcraft. Hatred, I mean, y'all know that one. Discord means you do this, you divide instead of unite. Uh, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, there are folks that have come along and they've pulled particular things out of that passage and they say, see, if this is your sin, then you will not go to heaven. Well, the reality is we're all guilty of one of them. And if not here, then we'll go to another epistle that he's written and I can promise you we'll find one that you can hang your coat on. Now, what are you saying is this, guys? He's saying that a lifestyle that is bent on disobeying God and in sin and running towards sin, that is not indicative of someone who has repented of their sin and turned to the Holy Spirit of God. Again, he's not saying perfection. He's not even exalting one of these sins, making it, uh, you know, uh, more depravable than another sin. He's just saying if there's no repentance of sin in your life, then you're not a part of the kingdom of God. And now, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
And then he gives the summary, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, that means put to death. They've put to death the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep on walking in step with the Spirit. So he is saying that there is a tug of war that is going on. Old nature, new nature, old nature, new nature. And you can sit there and you can determine by the attributes of your uh, personality, of your life, which one of those natures is dominating your life. But a maturing Christian wrestles with sin. I'll give you a second characteristic. A mature Christian wants to obey God. You're wrestling with sin, but your desire is, I want to serve God. The problem is there are, uh, there are sometimes what I call carnal Christians who will sit there and they will become self-satisfied and they'll say something along these lines and maybe you've even been guilty of saying this. Well, since nobody is perfect, I'm just going to sin a little bit. And they're, uh, they're justifying their actions. Friend, a maturing Christian is never satisfied with sin. No matter how much or no matter how little. A maturing Christian is someone that hates their sin just like God hates their sin. The tension that he is talking about here is a tension that is, it is in the life of someone who has a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can pray all the prayers you want to. You can get dunked in water all you want to. But if there is not a tension in your soul over the sin that is in your life, then the Holy Spirit of God does not reside in your heart. It's a wrestling. My desire is I want to obey and serve God. With that being said, can I ask you three very personal questions? You can give me liberty or not, I'm going to ask them. So you might as well just get ready. Here's the first personal question. Can you say, my heart's desire is to serve God? My heart's desire is to obey God. That's what Paul has said. Look back in verse 18. We're in Romans 7. He says in verse 18, For I know that in me, he's talking about that is within my flesh. He even says that there. Nothing good dwells, but for to will is present with me. This is good news, friends. Listen to me. What are you saying is this. I will always struggle with sin, but my want to, as my old country preacher used to say, my want to has changed. He more said it like this. My wanna has changed. I want to please God. I want to obey God. I want to serve God. And I'm so thankful today that God does not sit there and judge so much on our performance as he does our desire. Because we'll come up short all the time. See, God can do something that you and I cannot do. God knows our intents. God, God knows our motivation. For instance, I don't know why you came to church today. God does. I just know you're here. 
I, I, I don't know why you gave or did not give an offering today, a tithe today. I don't even know who did give or didn't give. Don't want to know. I'm still struggling with that whole old nature. Top five givers, be my best friend. So I don't want to know. But God does. And God's, God knows why you did. So Paul's sitting here, and Paul's like, hey, the things I want to do, I'm not doing. And the things I don't want to do, I am doing. And there's a war that is waging, and it's, it's, it's a struggle, and it breaks my heart. I, I'm broken over this sin in my life because my heart's desire is I want to please God. So as humans, we don't have the ability to look at the inward. All we can know is performance, the outward, right? I'll give you an example. I don't know, a long time ago, uh, I, I, I don't, you'll, you'll find this hard to believe, but every now and then I'll say something uh, that I probably shouldn't say. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'll allow my, my, uh, my mind to override my mouth. And, uh, you know, Jennifer and I, I don't, remember, I don't remember what my wife and I were, were fighting about, to be honest with you. And uh, I don't even remember exactly what I said. But uh, I, I, was, I was not a good husband. We'll just say it that way. And, um, and so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of get into a, uh, maybe, maybe we're the only ones, we'll, we'll get into a disagreement. And, uh, and I, I, I'll roll over and go to sleep. <laughs> and sleep fine which only infuriates her even more. <laughs> and I always respond and say, well, if you would choose an earlier time for us to get into a disagreement, then it would, which helps no one out by me saying that. Is, does that only happen at my house? Sorry. I don't remember what I said. I don't remember. I, I, I just know. I woke up the next morning. I'm like, you know what, man? That, you, boy, you, you were wrong there. And I can remember thinking, you know what? I'm going to stop by. I'm going to get her some roses before I go home today. And so I came to the office with every intention. I'm going to get her roses because I responded in a way that was not good. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not proud of what I've said, you know. And, um, and so, uh, you know, I came into the office. And I know a lot of you guys sit there and say, now, what do you preachers do all the time except on Sunday? Nothing. <laughs> we lay around, play video games, fish and hunt and play golf. <laughs> yeah. And so I came in, and it was one of those days where you just, you're always trying to catch up. You know, you're always behind. And it was real busy. I can remember thinking around, around lunch, oh man, I, I, I don't need to forget, I got to stop by and get some roses, take them home, get out of the doghouse. And I just kept being busy, busy, busy. I didn't think about it again until I was pulling in my driveway that evening. And, uh, and I walked in the house. And uh, now, guys, you learned from my mistake. And I said, hey, I was going to bring you home some roses. <laughs> but I just got too busy. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that. Been better to keep my mouth shut the entire time. Matter of fact, if I'd kept my mouth shut, there'd been no need for roses. Now, here's what we say. It's not so much 
the action as much as it is the thought. That's a lie. That's a lie. Because here's what she heard. I was going to get you some roses, but I was too busy to think about you, and there are no roses. We can't, we can't read the heart. God does. God's sitting there, and God's like, I know what motivates you. I, I know what your desire is. Again, I know what your want to is. And God has that ability to look into our hearts, and I think many times he judges us based on the direction of our desires. And so the question is, can we, like Paul, say, it is my heart's desire to serve God 100% of the time, 100% in his ways? Well, let's, let me ask you the uh, second very personal question. Can you say that my delight is in serving God? Your delight is in serving God. Look at what he says in verse 22. I'm not the one writing this. He says in 22, for I delight in what? In the law of God. Anybody have that on their bumper? For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. Here's what we know. There are a lot of Christians who the only feeling that they have regarding anything about the law or anything about obeying or disobeying God is they feel disgust when they disobey Him. And hear me, that's, that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. As long as it's balanced with delight. I'll be honest with you, I think we've already established the fact that if you sit there and you say, you know what, I'm not disgusted when I disobey God, then we would have to sit there and say, wow, does the Holy Spirit really live in you? But he says, I delight. When is the last time that you gave your tithe and you're like, oh, praise the Lord. I delight in giving my tithe today. No, usually it's like, man, oh man, I got to give this tithe. I got too many bills and it's Christmas. Usually we say, well, God really didn't mean that. Because I read something that some guy wrote that said this was an Old Testament thing and it wasn't a New Testament thing. By the way, I can give you some guys who wrote that it is a New Testament thing. One of them would be God. That's that whole justify my sinful life. When is the last time that you sat there and, and you said, praise the Lord, I get to love someone that has not been loving to me. That's my delight. When is the last time that you sat there and you said, oh man, thank you God, I delight in forgiving someone who does not deserve to be forgiven because they've hurt me and besides that, they won't forgive me and I did nothing. I'm going to forgive them anyway. Praise you, Jesus. That's what he means. That's the delight. That's the delight. That's the delight. Hey, listen to me, brother. That's the delight right here. Right here. He says, I delight in the ways of God. I delight in serving God. Let me ask you a third question. Can you say, my determination is to strengthen my new nature? 
the late evangelist Billy Graham. He used to tell the story, you've probably heard it before, about how in the 1800s there was a missionary that uh, led this Native American Indian to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this guy walked for many years with Christ and was maturing in his faith. And he came back to the missionary several years later. And here's what he said to the missionary. He said, hey, listen to me. I've got a problem. Inside of me are two dogs. One is a bad dog that tells me what to do wrong. And the other is a good dog who tells me what to do right. These two dogs are constantly fighting for control. And the missionary said, Tell me, which dog wins the fight? And the man said, it's the dog that I feed the most. If you want that new nature of Jesus to overpower that old sinful nature, you got to feed it and you starve the other. What is it that's going to feed your Jesus nature? Is it running around with a crowd that, you know, all they're worried about is partying and bar hopping and drunkenness and all those kinds? Is that going to feed that Jesus nature? No, that's not going to feed that Jesus nature. Or is is it going to be gathering with God's people, studying the Word of God in life groups? Yeah. And some of you are like, you know, I've been thinking about going to those groups you talk about. That means I'd have to get up a little bit earlier. I can promise you, friend, it'll do you much more good than whatever that... 45 minutes extra sleep you're getting. I've been, I've been thinking about it, but then I'd have to change my Sunday mornings. Go ahead and change them. Feed that Jesus nature. Let me ask you this. What's going to feed the Jesus nature? Reading and watching pornography, watching movies that you ought not watch, and allowing uh, music and words to come into your mind that you ought not listen to, or reading the Word of God. Obviously, it's reading the Word of God. I had a guy uh, not too long ago, he tried to, to debate me over the fact that I did not preach out of the King James Bible. Now, I preach out of the New King James because that's the translation I've always preached out of, but I study out of the New American Standard Bible. I'll study out of the NIV. I'll study out of the Christian Standard Bible. Every now and then, I'll pull out that Mickey Mouse ESV and read it. And here's what I said. Hey, brother, how about you quit focusing on the Holy Bible? Oh, God, help us. That there are men that have polluted that down through the ages. Friend, you just get you a translation and read it and study it and live it and read it and study it and live it. If it's good enough for Peter and Paul is good enough for me. KJV, KJV. Like it was around. Are you kidding me? My good. I didn't even give that to the first service. I just felt like y'all needed it. No, here's where we are, guys. Listen, listen. Feed the Jesus nature. Starve the old nature. Well, I don't understand. I don't understand why I'm still struggling with all this in my life. When you're still laying out a bowl full of food for the old man, for the old woman, right? Let's move on. We got to finish this. 1142. Mm. 
let me just say this. <laughs> yeah, it'd just be me and you, sister. It'd just be me and you. Notice nobody else amended you. Nobody else said, nobody else said, I will too. Uh, I mean, I got my wife over here. She's not going to amen that one. Um, but thank you for that word of encouragement. I appreciate that. I can promise you there'd be about 100 nursery workers that'd be coming in here and uh, it would not be pretty. No, hopefully, hopefully it won't be one, okay? But thank you for that kind word. Let me just say this. A mature Christian is somebody who wrestles with sin. But your desire is, I want to obey God. I want to serve Him. I'm broken when I don't. Here's the third one. A maturing Christian willfully submits to the Holy Spirit. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, I've got an ego problem. He's talking about me, him. He's talking about you. He's like, man, I'm so self-absorbed. You know, it's me, my, myself, I. I mean, the pronouns that he is using here. And he says, you know what? I've got to be, I've got to be replaced. I've got to resign and be replaced by the very Holy Spirit of God. That, that, that it's not me. And do, do you read how miserable he is? Again, an indication that the Holy Spirit of God indeed lives inside of him. You show me somebody that is able to continue living the life of an old man, then I would say, they're not a new man. He is so burdened, he's so miserable, that he asks a question. And it's interesting, he doesn't even give us any time, he answers it. What's the question that he asks? He basically says this, please, who will Save me. Who will save me? Verse 24, he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now, Bible scholars say this. The phrase that he uses there for body of death, it's a word picture. That during biblical times, evil kings, whenever they found a criminal guilty, they would take a dead body and they would chain it to his body, face to face, arms to arms, hands to hands, legs to legs. They would chain a corpse to that living criminal's body. And that would be, that would be his punishment. And so he couldn't eat, barely could walk. All of a sudden the decay of the old body and just the nastiness that comes with that infected old body would come in and it would infect the living body. Can you imagine? What a terrible way that would be to die. And that's what Paul's, that's what the word he's using here. When he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? What body of death? Again, the new nature of Jesus Christ, the old nature being chained to it. Who is going to deliver me? This is so awful. I cannot stand it. 
And by the way, if you are a maturing Christian, you'll come to the point where you say exactly what Paul said. This is awful. I cannot stand this body of death. Who's going to help me? Who's going to deliver me? Who's going to rescue me? And that's the agony. And then he gives the answer. Here's the answer. Praise God, Jesus did. Jesus saved me, verse 25. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is saying Jesus has already done it. That when Jesus died on the cross, his death took away the body of sin. And he's saying that the Holy Spirit of God that, that, that dwells inside of someone who has a relationship with Jesus will keep putting to death this old sinful nature. And so some of you identify with him. You're like, oh man, I'm so, I'm so wretched. I'm so miserable. Man, I, I want to please God. I want to serve Jesus. I want my life to be used for him. And it so burdens me that I, I still struggle with sin. It's like this flesh is just, it's like it's chained to my soul. I've got a good word for you. It's not my word. It's God's word. Look at Romans 8, 1. Now, now, you know when the original word was written, when this letter was written, there were no chapters, there were no verses. They came along later and did that, make it a little bit easier for us to read. I think, unfortunately, this is a break in the wrong place. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore. Whoa, now hang on. Therefore What? You know this, you know this. You've got to look back, right? What has he just been talking about? That my, again, my country preacher would say it this way. When you see a therefore, you have to look and see what it is there for. <laughs> there is therefore. Oh, wretch like me. I'm, I'm, I'm miserable. I'm struggling. I, I need someone to rescue me. Praise be to God. Jesus Christ has brought about the rescue. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. You see, guys, there's another component, and that is the very Holy Spirit of God, that when that old nature comes along, and that old nature says, do wrong, and your new nature says, well, I don't want to do that. It is the Holy Spirit when we submit to Him, and we surrender to Him, who comes in and takes control. Let me explain it this way. We we have a dog that lives in our home. Um, I, 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 uh, I always said, before I got married, I will never have animals that live inside my home. I didn't grow up with animals that lived inside the home. My dad would say, if God intended for animals to live inside a home, he would give them sense enough to build their own. He did. He would say that. Now, for the record, they have a dog that lives in their home. We have a dog that lives in our home. 
I'm usually one of the first ones up in the morning, and uh, her name is Hazel. And uh, while I'm there making my coffee, it usually goes like this. She walks over to, there's a little rug right in front of our door that leads out to the back porch. And she will just stand there and look at me. And then if I don't do anything, she'll take her paw, she'll put it up, and she'll just kind of hit it just a little to where you can hear it. And I'll look at her. And now, she can't talk. I can't read her mind. By the way, if, if, you, if you can read your dog's mind, I mean, you know, what? Eat, sleep, go to the bathroom, you know, I don't know. So she looks at me, and it's almost like she's like, hey, hey, you know, you know why I'm here? Let me out. I thought I trained you better than that. Come on. <laughs> let, let me out. What do I have to do? You know, you know, we do this every morning. Come on. And so, seriously, I honestly sometimes think that my, my, my lone job at my house is to be a door opener for my dog. Because <laughs> I'll start walking around, and then I'll look out and Lo and behold, she's right back. She's there by the back door. And she's same thing. She'll put her paw up there on the door. And it's like she's looking at me and she's thinking, seriously, we just had this conversation. You, you let me in the house. And, and she controls me all the time. There'll be times that she'll go, she'll lay by the back door to get me to let her out because she knows that if I let her out, I'm probably going to give her a treat because we give her a treat if she goes out and uses the bathroom. I'm pretty sure there have been times she has appeared as though she were using the bathroom only to fake it to get a treat. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. And so there are times I'm like, who's controlling? Am I controlling the dog? Is the dog controlling me? And then some of you would say, well, why don't you get rid of the dog? <laughs> For real? For real? There's a pecking order at our house. I don't necessarily know who's above the dog. I know who's not above the dog. There'll be times, though, that I'll take control. For instance, I don't like her waking us up in the middle of the night. Got to go to the bathroom. Got to go to the bathroom. So I'll sit there and say, hey, listen, you need to go out. And she won't need to go out. She doesn't get to the back door. And I'm like, you're going to go out because don't wake me up. Going And so I'll take her out whenever we get ready to leave. And I'm like, you're going to go out. She's not at the mat. She's not scratching the door. She gives no indication, even that she wants to go out and fake like she's going to the bathroom. And, you know, and I'm like, no, you're going out because we're leaving. And there'll be times that I take control of the situation and force her to go out. There'll be times that I'm like, I want you to go out and I'll make her go out. And there'll be times that, you know, I take the broom because she's hidden under my bed and I keep pushing her to get her out. And, you know, and, and there's a struggle. Who's in control? Am I in control? Is she in control? Who's in control? And <laughs> yeah, there's been way too much talking by y'all this sermon. There have been one or two times I almost had security bring a taser. Seriously. Now, when we get out late, it's your fault. Except my sister who wants to stay to one. Do you know the only time that I'm really not in turmoil or conflict with that dog? It's when I vacated the house. I'm serious. I get in my truck, I leave the house. I can promise you, I'm not sitting there, wonder if Hazel's sitting on the rug. <laughs> wonder if Hazel's 
pawing at the door. No, no, no. I got to leave the house. I've got to vacate the premises so there won't be a conflict. And you're like, well, now hang on just a second. What, what in the world are you talking about? What are you trying to help us understand when it comes to this? Friend, listen to me. In me, there's a good nature. And in me, there is a sinful nature. And they're constantly in turmoil. They're constantly fighting over power. But it's only when I vacate the premises. It's only when I am crucified with Christ that the Holy Spirit takes over. Because the only way that you can have victory over your sin in your own heart and personality is when you vacate the premises. Paul wrote about that, and this will be the last thing. Galatians 2.20. I love what he said. Galatians 2.20. I, now that's the big I. Uh, the, 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 the self, the me, right? The ego. I am crucified with Christ. I vacated the premises, right? This self-absorbed individual. I'm gone. I'm out of here. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I, that's the little I, I'm not in control. Oh, it's me, but I'm not in control. Nevertheless, I live, but not I, the ego, but it is Christ who lives in me. I'll say what you've heard me say a hundred times and you'll hear me probably say it a hundred more. If you could fix yourself, then there would be no need for a Savior. There'd be no justification. Oh my goodness, why are we doing sanctification again? There would just be, well, I've saved myself glorification. We, we, we'd probably take, I'd say, 95% of the Bible and just throw it away. We'd leave Leviticus. You're like, I don't understand Leviticus. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> but we can't. Do, do, do you see what we've just read here? It's the gospel. Here am I, there's a struggle, the old man, the new man, the old man, the new man. Oh, I'm broken that it's the old man, the new man, the old man. I can't sleep, the old man, the new man, the old man, the new man. Oh man, I need somebody that's going to come along and help me, rescue me, save me, set me free. Oh wait, Jesus did. And how about I trust him to do this whole sanctification, sanitizing process. I'll vacate the premises. I'll step out of the way. I'll say, okay, Lord, do with me as you will. Hey, Lord, if, if I'm going to be changed, only the Holy Spirit can do that. 
So really, it's a, it's a choice. By what nature am I going to choose to live? And then who am I going to choose? Well, this is a foolish question. Who am I going to choose to help me in that new nature? Well, there's only one that can. And it's the one who gave his life for you. You know, there's another choice that some of you have to make today. And that is, what are you going to do with Jesus? You hear us talk about the gospel. The gospel means the good news. The gospel is that beautiful, beautiful picture of salvation. What is the gospel? The gospel is, remember what I told you? Hello, my name is Stephen Kyle, and I am a recovering sinner. There'll never be a time in this flesh that I won't make that comment. Oh, oh, I'll get better through the work of the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, there'll be seasons, right? There are some things I struggle with that through the power of the Holy Spirit and the death of myself that I'll start getting more consistently right than wrong. I'm not the old man. There are sometimes I'm like, golly, I thought I got rid of that old guy. But the gospel says that while I'm a sinner and cannot forgive my sin, Jesus paid the price that belonged to me. When he went to the cross and he died, he took the penalty that rightfully belongs to us. And here's the good news. That while you and I deserve the punishment for our sin, we've already said spiritually dead, separated from God forever in a place called hell. He says the good news is, I'll take that. And I'll give you life. And I'll give you hope. And I'll give you forgiveness. You can't do it yourself. It is only through me. Now here's the choice. Will you take him at his word? And will you surrender your life to him? Or will you continue to try to do yourself what you'll never be able to do? Choice is yours. Hey guys, this is Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today, Unchangeable Truth. This is a ministry of Highland Park Baptist Church in Panama City, Florida. We would love for you to visit us if you ever find yourself in the Panama City area. Our address is 2611 Highway 231 North. You can also learn more about our church and its ministry by going to our website, www.highland, and it's H-I-L-A-N-D, park.org. There you'll learn more about what we believe, what we teach, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There'll also be a sermon archive there so you can go and listen to various sermons over the last several years. As always, we would love to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus Christ. So feel free, shoot us an email, info at highlandpark.org. If you'd like to learn more about Jesus and what it means to follow him, our prayers are that you would draw near to Christ, that this podcast would be used to point you to Jesus and to help your faith grow and your walk increase. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening.